Folks, we're going to read together a passage that we've been uh, working on over the last uh, six weeks called from Philippians chapter 4. So if you'll just read along on the screen, I believe it's going to be up there in a second. There we go. Let's read it together. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. Thanks be to God for that. For me personally, some of the most challenging words in the Bible come from Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6, verse 25, part of what we now call the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, don't worry about your life. What you will eat or drink or about your body, what you'll wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can anyone, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Then dropping down to verse 33. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Now I understand the last part. Each day has enough trouble of its own. It's that first part has always been much more elusive for me. Don't worry about your life because I do worry. I worry about family. I worry about money. I worry about health. I worry about the future. I have a long list of worries. Probably you do too. I know that worrying is unproductive. It doesn't really do any good, doesn't help address any of those issues that I'm facing. But just telling me not to worry doesn't do me any good either. It's like telling someone who's depressed to just snap out of it. Well, it's just not that easy. Thankfully, Jesus doesn't just tell us to snap out of our anxieties. He goes far beyond that, helps us find a path forward so that we can maybe just put our worries into perspective, maybe lower the intensity of our anxieties. I don't know that anyone will ever be perfectly worry-free. I don't think that's the goal, but I do think we can learn to live life more in the way that Jesus describes than we are presently. We're looking for progress, not perfection, right? Not as anxious this coming week as we were last week. Progress. That's why we've been focusing in on Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 9, encouraging you to memorize that. Because we've been using this acronym, the word CALM, which stands for C means to celebrate the nearness of God, A means to ask in prayer, L means to leave it in God's hands, and M means to meditate on all of God's goodness. And today we're going to spend some time on the L, how to leave it with God. Verse 7, the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That sounds so good to me, doesn't it? The peace of God guarding my heart, my mind. The peace of God standing guard over my life. Imagine guards at a military base or an embassy. They're responsible for the ones inside. Their job is to protect those on the inside from any threat that's coming from the outside. To intercept anyone who might intend to do harm or who just doesn't belong there. They're going to search every car inside and out. They're going to pat people down to make sure there's no concealed weapons. They're going to check the IDs to make sure they have a valid reason to be there. And only then do they gain access inside. Do we have God's peace guarding our hearts and our minds like that? I don't think so. 
Most of the time, I don't think so. I think most of the time, our minds are completely unguarded. Most of the time, we don't have any filters up, any firewalls to protect our thoughts and our minds. Anything and everything has access inside our brains. I mean, just the amount, the sheer amount of information, sensory input that we encounter on a daily basis is overwhelming. It's so much different than even 10 or 15 years ago. The sheer volume of information that we have to deal with on a daily basis is enough to put you not just on edge, but push you over the edge. So many sources of information coming at us at once. In an article entitled Death by Information Overload, psychiatrist Edward Hollowell is quoted as saying that almost all of us now suffer from some form of attention deficit. Just because of the stress of not being able to keep up and process fast enough all those emails and all that stuff that just gets dumped on us every day. He says that most of us live, and I quote, with continuous partial attention. Continuous partial attention. Can you relate to that? I know I can. And that's just about all this junk that's out there that fills our brains. We're, we're unconscious consumers of all this mental garbage. Today, people can be so mindful of what they put into their bodies. You know, they're so careful about making sure it's nutritious, what they're gonna feed their kids, make sure it's sourced correctly. And yet, those same people have no filters whatsoever about what goes into their minds. We're unconscious consumers of the world's garbage. And so if it's garbage in, no wonder it feels like garbage out. No wonder people are nervous and discontent and all the rest. And that's not even taking into consideration all the real issues we have to deal with. If we want God's peace to guard our hearts and minds, the first thing we need to remember is that we have to live from the inside out. From the inside out, not the outside in. If you allow the place, the circumstances, the outside world, if you let that determine who you are or determine your emotional level and all the rest, that you're never going to experience God's peace. We have to learn from the inside out. Let our internal world color and shape how we look and respond to the world on the outside. Because actually that reveals, it's sort of a mirror to what our soul is really going on. The way we handle our stresses and strains, that's really a mirror to something deeper within our soul, our thoughts, our actions. They display the condition of our inner life. Jesus taught this so plainly, Mark chapter 7, verse 14. He said, listen to me, everyone. Understand this, nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it's what comes out of a person that defiles them. What's on the inside, that's what comes out. What's on the inside. Matthew 12, 34, Jesus said, from the mouth speaks of what fills the heart. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him. An evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. Again, inside out. And so you can learn a lot about a person about their real self just by listening to how they talk. Someone who has to drop an F-bomb every couple of sentences, you know their heart is just messed up. Same with someone who has to gossip or who has to verbally tear somebody down or who has to be constantly negative or nagging. Their heart is in a bad place. Paul says in our Philippians passage that the peace of God will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. So guarding this internal world is really important. Paul says it's this world of heart and mind. Heart, which is our emotional life, our, our feelings, our impulses, and mind, which is our thought life, our intellect, and our decision-making. Those are the areas where we really need to have the protection of God's peace. Last week, Mike looked at 
how through Christ we can transform or get a renewed mind from Romans chapter 12. I want to continue a little bit in that same vein, but in a parallel passage from Colossians chapter 3, where Paul says this. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above. Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Paul again pairs up heart and mind just like in Philippians 3. He says, set your hearts Set your minds on things above where Christ is. Heart and mind together. Emotions and feelings coupled together with thoughts and decisions and all the rest. Because that's the battleground. This mixture of of heart and mind. This is who you are. This is your real self. The collection of your personal history, your, your personality, your education, all that stuff. Sometimes in scripture, the words heart and mind are used almost interchangeably. Uh, and that's particularly true in the Old Testament because in the Hebrew language, it's a much more earthy kind of language. So often the word that's translated heart in the Old Testament, it's actually the word for kidneys because they felt that's the seed of your emotion. It's your gut. It's like who you really are deep inside. So heart is not in the sense of a heart-shaped valentine. It is like you right from the innermost part of your life. When Paul says, set your heart, set your mind on things above, He's talking about this true inner self, who you are, getting the focus off yourself and onto Christ. Now, we hear a lot today about the importance of the mind or or being mindfulness. It's sort of the up-and-coming thing in all the self-help books, lots of PBS specials and all the rest. What Paul is talking about is more than just positive thinking. Don't get me wrong. I believe very important to think positively, But we need to be careful to distinguish between a biblical sense of being positive and some of the popular mythology that's being taught through what might be called the human potential movement. Authors like Eckhart Tolle and such. And you have to watch out because many of the popular authors of today, all they're doing is regurgitating the exact same things that were taught in the early 1800s in what was called the divine science or the mind science movement. The teachers who came up with this approach originally back in the 1800s were groups like Christian scientists, which is neither Christian nor scientific. Groups like the Unity Church and the Universalistic Church. And you can see that still in modern day things like even Scientology. It's the exact same stuff that was taught in the 1800s. What they teach you is that your mind, your thoughts have a power unto themselves that your thoughts actually have an energy. They believe that by thinking positive thoughts, that can create an energy field that makes you so powerful as to be able to influence the fabric and flow of the universe. Your thought waves take on almost a mystical, magical power. Now, this is not prayer. This is quite apart from God. But you can learn how to influence the future and the course of the universe simply by the power of your thoughts. If you think intensely about being healthy, you'll be healthy. If you think about money, money will come your way. That's why in Christian science they teach that all sin, all disease is just wrong thoughts. All illness is based on your bad thinking. If you could just think better, you'd feel better. In their view, the mind controls the universe. And so mind science, the reason it's so popular, it turns you into a little mini-god that can control everything. And I want to make sure you know that is not what the Bible teaches. That's not what Paul's talking about in referencing the mind being set on Christ. 
Positive, thing, positive thinking is a good thing, but this mind science stuff is just crazy, okay? Christian psychiatrist uh, Dr. Archibald Hart writes this, while thoughts are powerful, they're not all powerful. Thoughts are not reality. Thoughts cannot cause food to materialize, nor can they save an abused child, no matter how positive they may be. You can think positive thoughts until your head has enlarged a few hat sizes, but your positive thoughts cannot cure your appendicitis unless you see a surgeon. You see, Paul is on a different track here. To set your heart and your mind on things above, it's an action, it's a verb, it's something that you do. The Greek word means to investigate, to ponder, to literally move in the direction of, get closer to something so that you can understand it. Setting your heart and mind on Christ, it's the active concentration of your thought and intellect and reason, but directed towards who is Jesus now. It is seeing Christ in all his fullness, and not just in an intellectual way. It is knowing this, this, this risen, powerful Christ in your gut, knowing with your whole self that there is a loving God who's watching out over your life, a loving and powerful Lord, risen and reigning, who knows you and who cares for you and has your life well in hand. Setting your mind on things above means getting your thoughts and your emotions sort of thoroughly infused with this, I can only call it a godly confidence, a confidence that comes from seeing Jesus for who he really is. Go back with me to those words from Jesus from the Sermon on the Mount. Why do you worry about your clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, Will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So don't worry, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? And this is the key, uh, key two verses. For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Your heavenly Father knows what you need. He knows your needs. Do you really believe that? Do you really believe that God knows and do you believe that God really cares? Do you really believe that God will act in your best interest? Do you know that in your guts, in this combination of heart and mind? Do you have this basic confidence in the goodness and the power of Christ? Jesus says, seek that first. Seek that first. That's the kingdom. Seek that first. And the word that Jesus has used is for seek here. Same word as Paul saying, set your hearts. Investigate, examine, move towards so that you can understand Christ's kingdom. If you can do that, everything else will be okay. That's Jesus' promise. Everything else will be okay. Seek first the kingdom, the reigning power of Christ over your life, over your heart and mind, your emotions, your intellect, do that first. Jesus says, all the other pieces, they're gonna fall into place. That's true mind power. Not yours, his. All those things will fall into place. The mind of Christ, that's where the power is. It's in Christ. So put that first in your brain. Keep that power and presence in your emotions and in your thinking. See him for who he truly is and if you're able to do that, then the peace of God will guard your hearts and your mind. 
Set your mind and hearts on Christ seated above. That's more than just studying the Bible, and you know how much I, how, high value I place on Bible study. But this is not the same thing as that. This is having a Christ-like mind, a Christ-like worldview, so that your understanding of Jesus as this one who knows your needs, who loves you, who watches over you, that that becomes the filter through which you look at everything else in life. Your mind set on Christ, your Christ-like mind becomes like the glasses that you wear through which you see all the other things in your life. And that includes the way you see yourself. Seeing yourself through the mind of Christ is a huge step. Seeing yourself as loved, as accepted, as cherished, as valuable in God's eyes. Now, I've used this illustration a number of times in the past, but I want to tweak it just a little bit this morning. What I normally say is that I, I look at this paper as though this has printed on it all my sins, all the ways that I've hurt people, all the ways that I've disobeyed God and, and uh, run away from it. I need a much bigger sheet of paper or a much smaller print, but let's just imagine that way. So this is who I am with all my, my stains and all my sins. And this Bible, let's look at the Bible as being Christ. And so when the Bible says, as it does in Colossians 3, 3, that your life is now hidden in Christ, my life goes inside Christ. So from now on, all, what does Christ see? Or what does God the Father see? He sees the righteousness of Christ. This is how I can be saved. Because I didn't just like turn over 100 new leaves and all of a sudden I'm better. No, I've still got a lot of struggles going on on that piece of paper. But now I can be forgiven because I have placed my life inside of Jesus. Jesus surrounds me, so it's his holiness, his goodness, his righteousness that wraps him around me. My life is hidden in his, so that now when the Father looks at me, all he sees is the holiness of Christ, his goodness. Not because I've earned it, not because I've done better things with my life. No, my goodness that surrounds me is all because of Christ. And what I want to tweak that about this morning is that that's the way you should see yourself. Because too often we kind of pull this paper back out and we get all upset about all this stuff because we're not perfect. And maybe we need to start seeing ourselves as being hidden in Christ. We should see ourselves as God does, as being free and forgiven. And that's what it means to set our hearts and minds on Christ to set our minds on things above, for we died and our life is now hidden with Christ in him. See yourself, your life hidden in Christ, your life. And that should include all your worries and your anxieties. Those two are now surrounded and enveloped by the holiness and the goodness of Christ. Can you begin to see Christ encompassing your whole self, including your worst fears and your worst foreboding? Christ surrounds all that, it's hidden in him, and he is big enough to handle your panic and your anguish and your uncertainties. All of that is hidden now in the goodness and the power of Christ. And because of that, then we can get on to the business of combating all those thoughts that go on in our heads. You know, we gotta take control of that internal monologue that we have that kind of oftentimes leads us to dark places. You have to begin to identify in your mind, begin to identify maybe some of the thought traps that we fall into you know, the lies that we start to believe that lead us towards anxiety. Maybe we begin to recognize more quickly when we start to go in a wrong direction. So you gotta ask yourself, these are the three most common things that people do with their minds. First of all, they start to think everything's a catastrophe. You know, as soon as a problem comes, they immediately go to the worst case scenario. What's the worst thing that could happen? And that's what trips us off. 
Do our thoughts lead us down this trail of imagining just the very worst thing happening in every situation? So it's a doom and gloom, end of the world, toxic nightmare, worst case scenario. That is so common. Even though we know 90% of the things we worry about are never gonna happen, that still doesn't stop our minds from going to the worst possible outcome. And then we get stuck there. Putting your mind, setting your mind on Christ is a way of reframing your thinking so that you don't have to feel like you're right on the edge just holding on by your fingernails. Life will go on so we don't have to think everything is a catastrophe. Or do you fall into mind reading? I know I do. Imagining what other people think. You get stuck trying to figure out, well, why did they say that? What's there really going on? Why would she be doing that? You get into this thing of trying to put yourself in somebody else's brain and oftentimes mind reading is dangerous because it can become a self-fulfilling prophecy. If you're feeling tension towards somebody, you've imagined their motives or whatever, then the next time you run into that person, they could pick up on your hostility. They could pick up on those signals that you're sending, and then it becomes self-fulfilling because they react in that negative way. Mind reading can kind of make your head spin. So setting your mind on Christ is a way of pulling yourself out of that whirlpool. Maybe you get stuck with only black and white thinking, thinking that there are only out, two outcomes, win or lose, life or death, victory or defeat, and you don't want to be the one who goes down. What happens is when we get stressed, we lose the ability to see options or to be creative. Our world gets so much smaller and smaller and smaller. It's like you're driving into a tunnel. And so you think it's a dark tunnel and there's not really a lot of exit ramps there. Setting your mind on Christ can give you a new vision. It's like standing on a mountain peak. It's like Christ lifts you up and he gives you, there's lots of space. There are lots of alternatives. There are a lot of creative ideas and it gives you a burst of energy. Setting your mind on Christ opens you to more than just one or two solutions. There might be lots of different options. You see, the mind, the emotions, the body, they all work together. You are a complicated mixture of heart, mind, soul, and strength. So when you actively set your mind and your spirit on things above with Christ, when you see your life hidden inside of him, that can release you from the grip of anxiety and at the same time release this new energy into your life. You know, anxiety usually brings with it a lot of self-criticism, a lot of self-shaming. You know, I'm not smart enough. I should have seen this coming. I, I should have known better and so on. When you set your mind on things above, when you set your mind on the kingdom, Jesus wants you to move from self-criticism to self-compassion, knowing that he will give you the energy that you need to focus in on what's truly important. Setting your mind, your heart on Christ in the heavenly realm, this is not Christian escapism. It's God's source of power for you. It should awaken in you a sense of gratitude to the Lord for the way that his grace just kind of surrounds your whole life Take your emotions, your desires, your thoughts, your dreams. You can put them all into Christ and then you leave them there. That's the L. You have to leave them in this, the hands of this wonderful Savior who truly does love and care for us. Leave your life in his loving hands and then just get on to living your life. Keeping God's word in your heart and your mind, continually remembering that who you are as his beloved child. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom. Everything else will fall into place. Let's pray. Lord, I know I'm an awful lot like Peter. I believe, help my unbelief. 
I believe I can trust you. I believe I can leave things in your hands. And then the next day I want to snatch it back because I'm not sure you've got it covered. Lord, help us to really trust in the power of your words that when we seek you first, you'll take care of it all. And we don't have to worry. Thank you, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen.